0: on your feet, let's find somebody and tell them good morning. Bring your time. Every day
1: You guys doing today? Yeah, this is awesome. Um, You know, my wife was reminding me this morning how much our staff does for us, just as um, members of the congregation. From, you know, Jeff pours into our youth, and my son, I can tell you, has benefited from that. And Mark came to visit my wife when she was in the hospital, and Dolores hugs me every single Wednesday and Sunday, and in between, whenever I want to hug. And you can just go on and on and on. And there are, it made me realize, uh, how, how um, we don't have a whole lot of opportunities to return to them what they do for us well I have an opportunity for you today uh, for the last few weeks we have been talking through um, this white envelope that was inside your worship guide uh, every year we take up a love offering for our staff and then that's divided out to the staff so this is the last week that we're doing that I would encourage all of you even if it's just a small amount I would encourage all of you to take the envelope and to uh, help yourselves feel better about what the staff does for you and give as much as you can. Thank you very much. And put it in the, just put it in the, the uh, plate whenever it passes by. That's for, there you go, sir.
2: You know, it didn't sound like much work for Dolores to hug him, but he loves being hugged. Hug Kip a lot. Kip loves being hugged and uh, make yourself feel really, really good. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Hey, if you would take your worship guides, let's look at a few things that are coming up. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. It is, it's, it's warm in here. <laughs> I want to thank those of you who came to our open house yesterday. We had a wonderful time. I know other parties were going on, and the Panthers were playing, and lots of stuff going on. But for those of you who came, we had a really good time. And. And uh, thank you for taking time out. We have, uh, we've planned a lot of, a, a lot of Christmas stuff. Uh, Christmas is a time of year, and I know it's really busy, but if it wasn't busy, busy, it'd be depressing. You know that? So it is wonderful to have a busy schedule during this holiday season. And one of the things we try to do as a church is make sure that we get lots of opportunities to hang out together. Uh, our next one is actually this coming fr- Friday night at the Pines Theater in uh, downtown Lovkin. We have rented that place out, and we're going to be showing the movie The Santa Claus, that great Christian bastion of truth. Uh, And uh, we're going to have on top of it as a way to encourage one another an ugly sweater contest. So if you're not entering that, do not wear a sweater because you could win or lose however you see it because some of you are wearing sweaters that you should not have worn for many, many years. Having said that, wear it and you might win, but that is this coming Friday night, and uh, it, it, the information is in there, 7 p.m. at the Pines Theater, and we're going to watch the, uh, the movie together, it's free, uh, there'll be popcorn available, that'll cost you a couple bucks or something like that, but we'd sure love to have you join us, and if you want to bring folks, it's, uh, it, the, the theater only holds like 350 people, so the first 350, if there's that many that come. Um, But it's such a cool place downtown, Lufkin, the lights and everything. It's just going to be a festive night. And I was going to invite you all over to my house for a movie, but I figured you couldn't fit in my house. So that's why we rented that. And, and again, we'd love to have you. If you have grandkids that you want to bring, bring them, and and, uh, we'll have a wonderful time together. Uh, You can read everything else in there. There's actually stuff coming up at the beginning of the year. Um, um, Also, let's see. What did Alicia have something here? 17th. 11 to noon. Oh, is the Happy Birthday Jesus Party? Is there anything you want to say about that? Why don't you come up here and talk about your activities? While she's coming up uh, on uh, December 24th this year, we're going to have our, our uh, Christmas Eve candlelight service. We're going to do it on the 24th. That's a joke I make every time I announce it, so please laugh because that's funny. Or I will preach 15 more minutes l- longer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um,
1: Thank you, Pastor Mark. <laughs> this coming Sunday during the Bible study hour from 11 to noon, we're going to celebrate the what Christmas is all about, the birth of our Savior. Uh, infant through fifth grade, we'll have a craft, um, goodies, sing happy birthday to Jesus, cupcakes, goodie bags, the whole thing, uh, a lesson. So we're going to pack a lot into the hour, so kids come out, grandkids, just y'all come on, we'd love to have you.
2: So that's next Sunday. And then the following Sunday is our family Christmas in the morning. Uh, and uh, what that is is we have an uh, an hour to an hour and ten minute service in here with all the kids in here. And uh, we sing a lot. There will be a sketch. Uh, it's not a normal Sunday morning service. It is a wonderful celebration of the anticipation of the birth of our Lord. And then Sunday night at 6 o'clock to 6.30 we'll have our candlelight service. So the 24th, it's really cool that... Uh, uh, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year because it gives us an opportunity to celebrate and, and anticipate together. So that's the next couple weeks. Uh, again, Friday night, movie night. Sunday is a kid's happy birthday Jesus party. Uh, the following Sunday will be all of our uh, Christmas Eve stuff, family Christmas in the morning. And So take note of those things. Be involved. Bring people. It's just a great time to celebrate our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. As we prepare for our offering for those who are visiting this is not for you to give this is for those who attend here regularly uh, our offering uh, supports missions where we participate with the Southern Baptist Convention they have about 9,000 missionaries globally serving the Lord and we have adopted about 15 missionaries independently of them. Uh, that we support regularly through our offerings and we take care of the expenses here. So that's what our offerings go towards. Uh, and again, if you're visiting, please don't give. This is for those who attend you regularly. We're just glad to, you're here. Lord, we love you. And uh, thank you for the season that allows us to celebrate your birth. And it is an exciting season. We love the music and I'm, I'm even thankful it's cold this year. It, it feels like Christmas and uh, we're so appreciative of all you do for us. And Such a beautiful, sunny day today, Lord. We had snow a couple days ago, and you're responsible for all of that, too. You are responsible for all that. We're so busy looking at our next big event that sometimes we forget to thank you for the little things you do. And uh, yesterday was so celebrant in this community. It was so much fun between private Christmas parties and people shopping and the Panthers playing. It was just a, it's just been a great weekend. And uh, Lord, we love you, and and we want to thank you for being the king of the universe, and and the little things too. And so, Lord, as we as we turn our face uh, away from the business of life now, to you and to what you have done on our behalf, and you, we pray you'll teach us some things this morning from the songs, from the from the scriptures we look at. Make us more like you. I pray you'll bless our time. For those who are, are not able to be here this morning. We've got folks that are sick and some traveling. We pray you be with them and and and, and keep them safe. Father, I pray you'd heal those that are are ailing. And Lord, I just pray that the next couple weeks in our lives as your kids would be be a royal party uh, at the birth of the King of Kings. We love you. Thank you again for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor comes from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge.
0: Standing, would you stand and just sing this uh, this Christmas carol with us? Oh, come all ye faithful come ye faithful, joyful. And
2: dismiss the kids at this time for the programming. King Edward VIII was king of the United Kingdom from January 20th, 1936, until he chose to abdicate the throne on December 11th of the same year. Edward had been named the Prince of Wales on his 16th birthday, nine weeks after his father was made the king. As a young man, Edward served in the British Army during the First World War and undertook several overseas tours on behalf of his father's throne. He became king on his father's death in early 1936. However, he showed great impatience with court protocol and caused concern among many politicians by his disregard for established constitutional conventions. Only months into his reign, he caused a constitutional crisis by proposing marriage to Willis Simpson, an American who had divorced her first husband and was still seeking a divorce from her seventh, second, not seventh. That would be remarkable. The prime ministers of the United Kingdom opposed this marriage, arguing that a divorced woman with two living ex husbands one to whom she still married, was politically and morally unacceptable for her function as a royal. It was... Uh, Said that such a marriage would conflict with Edward's responsibility as not only head of the country, but head of the church. And at that time, they not only disapproved of remarriage, but actually had control over who the royals could marry. When it became apparent that he would not be allowed to marry this woman and remain on the throne, he abdicated. He chose to give up the throne rather than submit to his responsibilities. He was then succeeded by his younger brother that many of you may may know because of the movie The King's Speech that recently came came out, uh, who would also be the father of the present Queen Elizabeth. With a reign of only 326 days, Edward is one of the shortest reigning monarchs in British history. After his abdication, he was created Duke of Windsor, He married the woman we talked about, Wallace, in France on the 3rd June, 1937, after her second divorce became final. Later that year, the couple toured Germany. During the Second World War, he was first stationed with the British military mission in France, but after private accusations that he had Nazi uh, uh, sympathies, he was appointed governor of the Bahamas. After the war, Edward would spend the rest of his life in retirement in France. Much of this is from Wikipedia and other online historical documents. But there's a a simple fact. When you're born royal, there are certain expectations and responsibilities that come along with the wonderful position that you're born into. One of those is the head and defender of the Church of England. As a man... Edward had things he desires that violated that role and the responsibilities that come with that. In in, in Edward's case, he could never reconcile what he wanted versus his roles and responsibilities, and therefore made the choice that although in his blood still ran royal blood, he would rather abdicate and live his life on the outside looking in then live up to the responsibilities that come with that role. And so it was with Eli and his sons, the high priest of Israel during the times of the judges. In last week's text in 1 Samuel chapter 2, we watched as God sent a prophet to confront him in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 30 to 35, and I'm going to have you look at that with me. Therefore, The Lord, the God of Israel, says this, I promise that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests. but I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. The time is coming when I will put an end to your family, so it will no longer serve as my priests. All the members of your family will die before their time. None will reach an old age. You will watch with envy as I pour out prosperity on the people of Israel. But no members of your family will ever live out their days. The few will not cut off from serving at my altar will survive, but only so their eyes can go blind blind and their hearts break, and their children will die a violent death. And to prove that what I have said will come true, I will cause your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to die on the same day. Then I will raise up a faithful priest who will serve me and do what I desire." As a servant of the Most High God, both Eli, God's high priest, and his sons, who functioned as priests, were tasked with the responsibility of mediating between God and people. That was their responsibility. Until God would send our ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ, on that first Christmas day. This was the role of the high priest and his priests. And this wonderful calling, which had many wonderful benefits. In fact, one of the things we didn't talk about in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2 last week is one of the things the Lord says to him is, you've enjoyed what I've given you. In fact, he refers to Eli and his sons as fat from the blessings of God. There's a lot of good stuff that comes with being the king of England. A lot of parties, a lot of, respons- a lot of, a lot of respect. There's a lot of cool stuff that come in with God, comes with being God's priest. But the problem was there was a conflict in their hearts between what they enjoyed and the responsibilities that came with other, other, with that. In other words, the priest was to practice what he preached. Now, again, to put some context to this, in the first chapter of Samuel, you remember Hannah wanted a baby really bad. And so she comes to the tabernacle with her husband and she prays alone. And as she's praying, she's crying out. And Eli recognizes that she's not even saying anything. So his first assumption is she's drunk, remember? And he confronts her on it. So we have an Eli who's willing to make sure that everybody else is living by the expectations of being in the place and acting a certain way until it came to himself and his kids. So the laws for both King Edward and Eli were good for everybody but themselves. And that wasn't acceptable to God. Because they took God lightly, is what it says in chapter 2. And because we saw that God told Eli that he honored his sons more than God, because the boys were stealing the offerings brought by people to the Lord and seducing Jewish women who came to offer sacrifices, God was now going to remove them from the position they basically had already abdicated. Like King Edward, Eli and the boys wanted the privileges and benefits of being royal without themselves being willing to submit to the very same expectations and laws that were being tasked to uphold. Let me be clear. Not everything, if you watched The Crown or Queen Elizabeth or any of the stories, there's a lot of stuff that stinks about being a royal. But there's a lot of cool stuff too. There was a lot of great stuff about being a priest or a high priest of the king of kings. But there's a lot of stuff that's difficult. But you have to choose. You get to choose. And so God promised to replace Eli and his heirs from the priesthood and would raise up another, which takes us into the very next verse, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, which is today's text. Meanwhile, I love that. It's all over this book. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile... That means while all this mess is going on, the boy, very important, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. A couple important details as we jump into this. First, tradition, not scripture, but tradition teaches that Samuel was about 12 years of age at this time. Do we have a 12-year-old young man in this room? Anybody 12? We don't have any 12-year-old boys in this room? They're like that. They're about that tall. I mean, we hear 12, and you don't realize how young 12 is. 12 isn't even 13. You can't even get married with your parents' permission in Louisiana at 12. 12. 12 12-year-old boy. Secondly, for centuries now, apparently, God had rarely visited his people on a supernatural encounter that we sort of think happened nonstop. Now there's a lot of folks that are going to tell you they know why the supernatural encounters were rare, not ceased, but rare. But nobody really knows. Throughout history, if you study the scriptures consistently, you'll find that there are periods of time where God is more active in a supernatural way and sometimes less active. And this is one of those periods in time when he was less active. In that time, in those days, the passage says, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. Verse 2, one night, Eli who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel, yes, Samuel replied, what is it? And he got up and he ran to Eli. Here am I, did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. And so he did. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel, again Samuel got up and he went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed couple things. This voice that Samuel hears is not a vision. It's not a dream. It's audible. Referring to the fact that the candle had not gone out, it was Samuel's responsibility to make sure the oil in that lamp stayed uh, stayed in there so that it would continue burning. The reason that we're told in this text that it hadn't gone out is so that there's no confusion that it could have been somebody else. In other words, there was light where he's sleeping. And he wakes up and he looks around to find out who it is calling him. It's an audible voice. Why why wouldn't a boy who had been assisting the priests in their duties recognize the audible voice of God? Now remember, this is Old Covenant. God clearly spoke. Even though it was rare, it is reasonable to believe that God spoke to His prophets, His priests, and His kings. There were no kings at this time. So He spoke to the judges, the prophets, and the priests. But for some reason, it tells us Uh, that that he didn't recognize God's voice. And the question why is answered in the very next verse, verse 7. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Take a breath. I, I want this to sink in. These are the verses we read over, but are very, very important to the context. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Why? Because he had never heard had a message from the Lord before. So what do we learn from that? Up to now, everything young Sam did was purely religious and based on tasks that had been given to him by eli and his sons it was not personal samuel had had no 12 year old samuel and i want to keep reminding you of that little samuel had never had a personal experience with god except what he was tasked to do and watching his mother and father's faithfulness not only was samuel young But he had never had a message from the Lord. His relationship with God was purely religious, not personal. And boy, that was about to change in a radical way. To be fair, this had never occurred to Samuel before. So not knowing what the voice of God sounded like is reasonable. He had had no context for this. Verse 8. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? It was then that Eli realized it was the Lord who had called the boy. Why would Eli recognize that it was the Lord, not the boy? Because Eli had heard the voice of the Lord before. He had been in conversations with him. The first two times he didn't expect it, but the third time something's going on here. It must be God. Not only that, but I want to remind you that just recently the Lord had told Eli that he was about to remove him and raise up somebody else. Eli knows what's about to happen. Verse 9. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord, your servant is hearing. Listening. I remember the King James. I memorized that verse. So Samuel went back to bed. And the Lord came and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, Speak, your servant is listening. Okay, now pay attention. Because I, I want you to grasp what's taking place at this moment. The very first thing the Lord says to Samuel is this in verse 10. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. When God says that he's about to shock Israel, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. I am going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever. But his sons are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by the sacrifices or offerings. I want you to wrap your mind around what's happening. Now, look, I understand, you know, we're daily bread people. We kind of just look at the surface and move on. But you've got to understand what real, the context, the, the intensity of this, of this shocking thing that happened. God is about to keep his word to Eli that he gave through a prophet by replacing him. But how he does it is shocking. Eli was trained. Eli knew the scriptures. Eli had been fairly effective as a high priest. Remember his ministry to Hannah, Samuel's mom? He comforted her. It said that when when Hannah was done talking with Eli in chapter 1, she went home and she was never sad again. She trusted the Lord. So he was relatively effective as a high priest. Eli is mature. Eli's older. Eli probably looked like the perfect person for the job of high priest, but there was one problem. Eli honored his sons over God by not disciplining them when they had blasphemed God. There were clear consequences and punishments within the law found in the Torah for anyone who did the things his boys did. It's clearly laid out. Death. You may think that's harsh. You may think that the legal system is flawed. But when you're king, you get to make those laws. And God had established that this is what happens when you have somebody who rapes somebody else. This is what happens when you steal an offering from the Lord. God had established those, and Eli not once does more than talk to his boys. He does not discipline them, and he becomes complicit in their sin because of it. So get this. Although Eli had been performing his royal duties as the high priest adequately, he wanted others to act in a way that honored God and his kingdom according to God's laws. He made an exception for himself and his boys. Just like King Edward. Who actually got engaged to a woman who was still married. And as the head of the Church of England, let alone the King of England, you can't do that. God's response to that, 1 Samuel 2.30. I will honor those who honor me, and I will despise those who think lightly of me. God chose to replace Eli, and the shocking part is who he chose to, To replace him with. An old man who's now going blind and at the end of his ministry is replaced with a 12-year-old boy who had never ever heard from God. Now I know that's hard to get your mind around because most of us grew up hearing about Samuel and we know what he does. We know what he does. We know that, that Samuel is going to take down Israel's first king, Saul. He is then going to anoint the second king, David. You know that Samuel is going to be a prophet. He's going to be a fair judge. He's going to have an incredible ministry. So in our mind's eye, Samuel is this awesome guy from birth, but that's not true. In the same way that Abraham was called out from Ur before he had done anything, before he had even worshipped Jehovah God as far as we know, God chose these men to be used by him. And Paul actually explains why he makes these shocking choices. Because I I, want to clarify, God choosing little 12-year-old non-personal relationship Samuel is on the same level with God putting Jonah in the right place at the right time to be swallowed by a whale or a big fish. It's just as shocking as God confronting a prophet through his talking donkey. It's just as mind-boggling as God taking a no-name couple in a no-name town that they are constantly mocked over to be the parents of God on this planet. It's remarkable. And God explains why he does these things, makes these shocking choices, through Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29. God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless, here's the reason, to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing that which the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. The truth is, you can't say how good you are. Eli and his boys we functioning in a way that kept the tabernacle functioning. People like Hannah and her husband kept coming year after year to worship. They were fairly effective, even if they were ungodly. But God is about more than functionality. God is about himself, and that's shocking to people. The Hebrew word God used in this text that we translate as shocking, I'm going to do a shocking thing, means I'm going to send a quiver or a shake or an earthquake throughout the people of Israel. And how am I going to do it? By choosing a 12-year-old boy who had never talked with God to replace the great Eli. Everybody knew his sons were screwy, but they liked Eli as far as we know. The problem was, Eli abdicated. So God in a huge statement of authority and a show of power, chose this 12-year-old boy who had never encountered him to replace this man and his boys. You see, the problem was that Eli and his sons had forgotten that they served at the mercy of and under the authority of and on behalf of and empowered by the king of kings. This fact, this shocking fact, isn't just true of Samuel or Jonah or a donkey or a couple of no-name people from Nazareth. Look at 1 Corinthians 1, 24 through 27, a few verses ahead of what I just read you. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, that's you. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, a few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. I know you know these verses, but do we really grasp the shocking truth that, that is found in the fact that God has chosen us among all the people He could have chosen? Us. Us to glorify Himself. To make us royals. You see, I think, I think that we sing songs. Like this morning, do you realize you sing to God that He's the King? We like that he's our daddy because because we like the mercy that comes with the daddy. We like him to put us on our knee. We love that concept. But he left us here for a reason. That is to be ambassadors of his kingdom. We are royal. We are tasked. In fact, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this. So so, uh, that's not the one. Verses 9 and 10. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let me read it for you. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. That's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That's writing to Gentiles. That's writing to us. We are a royal priest. Just as shocking as the big fish or the talking donkey or the young girl named Mary or a 12-year-old boy named Samuel, just as shocking is that the king of the universe called us, Gentiles in East Texas, to be his royal priests. You are royal, and with that comes responsibility. We have responsibility. Responsibility that God takes seriously. Responsibility that is going to surely go against what we want at times. Maybe a lot of times. King Edward chose his wants over his royal responsibilities. And it's funny, because when you watch the crown or you read it, your heart sympathizes with him that must be really rough. If you've seen the crown, there's dozens of times where you see Queen Elizabeth looking out the window as her husband goes to play. You feel bad for her. It must be lonely. But it's still her task. It's her task. And so is Christianity. For the past 80 years, we've been trying to marry godliness with the world. How can I be more sensitive to the sinfulness or whatever? How can I be more hip, more accepted? And we keep trying really hard to, buy, uh, to, to marry worldliness with the world, with godliness. And the truth is, we're supposed to stand out. You know who did an awesome job with this this past year and was mocked for it? Our vice president. No matter what you think of the president or the vice president, This last year, he took a stand that he would not be alone with another woman for lunch. Remember that? And everybody mocked him for it, including some of the Democrats that have just resigned. He seems like a genius, but are they hailing him? No, because his morals don't come from Washington or LA. They come from God. Would it be convenient for him to have lunch with women and meet with them alone? Of course it would. Was it wise? Yeah. And you may not even agree with that standard. You may think that's silly. That's fine. But God has asked things from us that go against what's convenient. And that's just how it is as a royal. That's just how it is. And when we decide to feed our flesh, knowing what God wants from us, we choose to honor ourselves and our children more than we honor God. And that was the sin that removed Eli and his boys. That was the problem. In fact, the context of 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter 2, 1 to 5... So get rid of all evil behavior be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Why does this matter? Why does he have to write this? Because your flesh, my flesh, wants my flesh. It wants acceptance. It wants love. It wants to be hip. It wants what it wants, just like yours does. And I have to decide as a royal priest what's more important. I have to choose to do that which goes against what my flesh wants in order to honor the king, even if that means I'm lonely. Even if that means that I have to discipline my children in, in harsh ways, Eli. I have, to, I have to value God over me. Or it's just a song we sang this morning. He is my king. Is he? Is he ruling? Do we mean these things? Or is, or is this just, well, very Jewish of us. I mean, Eli and his boys were functioning. But were they serious? I mean, so you're in a rough marriage. I don't like my wife. I deserve a better wife. Do you? My husband doesn't serve me like a godly husband should. I deserve to find a man. Do you? What do you deserve? What is it that will help you decide not to keep your royal responsibility? Edward really genuinely loved that woman. There was only one problem. She'd been married twice and she was still married to her second husband. But he really, really loved her. You should be able to marry who you love. Should you? You see, when you were adopted, you became royal. Well, I I don't want to be royal. I just want to be saved. Now you're Eli. Now you're most of the church. Hey, in case you're not clear, nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of divinity. Nobody wants to have God mad at them. Most of us just want to find out how far we can push that line. That's why we study divorce, isn't it? So, what kind of divorce is acceptable to God? God hates divorce. I know, I know, but uh, if my wife did this and this and this, would it be okay? It's not about what's okay, it's about being royal. We are royals. And that means we, we are to do more than simply talk like royals. We're to live like royals. There will most certainly be things that we want that God doesn't want for us. But as a royal, we choose God over ourselves and our feelings and our comfort and our fear. We don't just proclaim kingdom values, we live them out even if it costs us. You know, I like the pastor that was all about grace, I like him better. He's nicer. I'm still all about grace. To be true, even with not Nazi sympathies and living out his days in Paris, Edward was still royal. Nobody said he wasn't, you know, wasn't a royal bloodline. He just abdicated. So he lived out his days longing for what he once had and maybe wishing he'd have done it differently. How about us? Isn't that exactly what we feel at times? There's a direct correlation. There's a lot of Christians who walk around and say, I don't have the peace and the joy of the Lord. Well, you've been married 13 times. What, you think I'm going to hell because of that? I don't. You can be a child of God and married two dozen times. 14, you, you can be married 62 times if you want. But the question isn't what you want, it's what honors God. And you know what the truth is? You shouldn't have a pastor who's had multiple affairs not that God doesn't love him and he doesn't have a talent or a gift but the truth is there are certain things you give up to shepherd a flock. One is beating your wife. You give that up. Well, you nobody should ever beat their wife, especially a member of the clergy. The truth is that in God's economy, I'm no more important than you are. And if you go around cutting people off and flipping them off in traffic but you have a fish on the back of your bumper, you're not a good testimony. You're not acting royal. And you have been sidelined. If you want the joy of the Lord and the experience of His working in your life, you're going to have to live like a royal because the two go together. Are you going to be lonely? Maybe. Some of you are single and you're struggling with singleness. I just want to be married. What if God doesn't have that for you? Well, why would He do that? I I don't know. I don't know why God would do that. Why would God use a 12-year-old boy? Why would God do that? Why would God choose any of us? Because He's God and He has a plan. And in that plan, He glorifies Himself. I don't even always understand how He glorifies Himself. It is an amazing thing that we have been called to do. And as as you look at these characters of Scripture, you realize, especially in 1 and 2 Samuel, you're going to see people who are very, very devoutly religious, but they are not committed to God. And this is what that looks like. Eli and his sons are what that looked like. For Eli, it meant that he would have had to go to war with his priest's sons and discipline them for their blaspheming, but he chose not to. And so, because he abdicated his responsibility in the same way that King Edward had, he was removed and God replaces him with a boy. Watch, verse 11 through chapter 4, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm about to set an earthquake in this nation. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from the beginning to the end. The shocking thing doesn't just end, as we were talking about this morning, it doesn't just end with Samuel being brought into the priesthood, into the judgehood as a 12-year-old boy. It ends with God fulfilling all these things. I'm going to keep, uh, carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from the beginning to the end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever, but his sons are blaspheming God and doesn't, he doesn't discipline them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Verse 15. Samuel stayed in bed until morning. Then he got up and he opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. Pause, just just take a breath. Why would a 12-year-old boy be afraid to tell the old man he's working for that is also raising him that he's about to be killed? Do, Do I really need to answer that? His first chore from God was to tell his mentor, his parent, his guardian, and his spiritual leader that his sin will now cost him and his boys his life. How's that for a first day at work? Serving the Lord has always been hard. You think Samuel is going, yeah! No, Samuel didn't go, yeah. He was afraid. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. Samuel replied. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. <laughs> you think Samuel, or you think Eli knows? That's not how you open a conversation. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. And that's why I think Eli is still a child of God. He understood. He understood that he had crossed a line. He also knew that God had a plan. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said was proved to be reliable. And all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and give messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle, and Samuel's words went out to all the people of Israel. We, like Edward and Eli and Hophni and Phineas are royals. You're a royal. Because you have now been adopted by God into his family. And I can't say that enough. This is not about not going to hell. This is about adoption. That was God's unchanging plan in Ephesians 1, verse 5. His unchanging plan was to make you his, qu- his kids. The only question for us is, will we be a royal like King Edward Will we be a royal like Eli and his sons having a set of laws for others or rules or morals or or expectations but not living them for ourselves? Ignoring the responsibilities of our calling as high priests? Or will we be like Samuel understanding the hardness of the task like telling a guy who is responsible for raising you that God has removed him? There is not a question as to your royal heritage. You are the children of God. You've been adopted. The only question is, what kind of royal do you wish to be? Let's close. Lord Jesus, I thank you um, for your grace and your mercy and these warnings for us. We have seen this morning what it looks like to be religiously active, to live in the tabernacle even, but take you lightly. Lord, I don't think that this text is threatening to kill us. But I think it answers questions why we don't have the joy of the the Lord, the the fruit of the spirit of joy and hope and peace. Why we get frustrated with people because there's a long line at the store. Why we are so impatient with our spouses because we expect them to treat us better than we treat them. Father, your Holy Spirit lives within each of us who are your children this morning and I pray you would convict us of those things that need to change that we would even be willing to confess to our children and our spouses where we have not stood tall and ultimately that we would walk with you most especially in the areas that we don't really feel like it may we surrender our feelings lord we do love you we want to be used by you we want to experience the joy of our salvation especially this christmas we want to anticipate your coming in a new way But Lord, if this is just a religious moral thing, if this is just a hell thing, we never will. I pray that you would begin to open our eyes and help us to understand what it means to live royal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's what I want to do the next couple weeks because Christmas is coming. We're going to get back into Samuel in about three weeks. but next week we're going to take some time out. It's uh, the 17th, it's the week before Christmas. And I'm going to explain to you from Galatians how you became royal. How that happened. And I think you'll be shocked at some of that. Yeah, I know you know the answer. It's through salvation, okay, I already said that. But when you see how intentional his plan was to make you royal, maybe it'll make, change the way you look. Then we're gonna have our Christmas time together and then the, the last Sunday, the 31st of the month, I wanna talk about what it looks like to have royal responsibility. What are the things that God expects from us? And then we'll have communion that morning and we'll call in 2018 and we'll all make weight loss uh, commitments for ourselves that will break within the first week. And we'll start the first year out. You know, we're just journeying together through God's Word. That's all we're doing. We're looking together, and and what does it mean? This is not threatening to take your life. That's not what this threat is. I've had that growing up, and I've been in communion where people didn't die who should have died. That's not what this is. This is an opportunity for us to say, I don't want to do it like that. And it is never too late to change. And that doesn't look like just a hard thing. Some of us need to go home and look at our spouses and say, I have not lived royal in relation to you. Some of us need to say it to our kids, I have not been the royal parent I was called to be. Things are now going to change. And they may hate the change. That's not part of the equation. We need to do this God's way. You want to reach the lost? They already know about hell and they don't care anymore. They're scared of nuclear holocaust. Um, they're scared of out of control flus what's going to reach the lost is to actually see a group of people who will surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and walk with him and that is my prayer for us my prayer for us is that we will act like royals even when it's lonely even when it's hard because God's got a plan and his plan is is good even when it's scary all right, Bible study is going to start in about 15 minutes. I, you don't, those of you who do not think that I can end early, you aren't paying attention to the clock this morning. Mark it down, because next week I get 15 more minutes. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.